Welcome to Old Dog New Tricks. Everyone has heard this saying before, but today we're going to put that theory to the test. Today we have a special episode. This only comes around once in a lifetime, and we're going to be talking about the Ethereum merger. So what does that mean for you as a holder and understanding the details to get you up to speed? So right off the bat, John, what kind of questions you got for me here? Well, Austin, I, I've been waiting for this one because as a, you know, as an old OWG kind of a guy who's securities oriented, yeah, when I know. when I hear merger, well, of course, I think of, OK, <laughs> we got two two companies here and usually the idea of putting them together is is financially driven. You know, one plus one yeah. equals three. And so you get a combination that's financially driven and, and often ends up producing a, a cultural clash, shall we say, because we have two different companies with two different cultures that are now squished together somehow. But that's not what merger with regard to Ethereum refers to at all. So I'm really like a fish out of water. What very little I understand about it is that the merger has to do with the conversion from a proof of work validation process to a proof of stake. I'm not Absolutely. dead on certain exactly what those two terms mean other than I just have a general understanding, but that might be a place to start, at least to give people like me the idea of, gee, what's going on here? Absolutely. So we did cover this topic a little bit. So if you want to go back to episode two in our what is blockchain episode, we kind of covered just the little nitty gritty of what actually is proof of work, proof of stake versus, but right now we're just going to do a little overview of what that entails. So currently. We've been using what they call proof of work, where the miners are solidifying the underlying layer of of Ethereum. All the transactions go through. Each block gets mined by a miner, and it takes a lot of computing power to do this. So on the 15th, they don't know the exact date. It's, It's actually what block it hits. So it's between the 14th and 15th overnight. We will see what time it exactly hits, but that will be switching the current consensus mechanism from proof of work to proof of stake, which is a much different model in the sense that it doesn't require as much energy. It requires people to have a 32 minimum ETH balance to run a staking node. So it's a little bit of a little bit of a switch there. Instead of having a computer and mining equipment, you now have just to hold Ethereum. So it's a little bit more user-friendly on that front. More people can participate. So those are the two things that shoot right off the top for me. And what that entails going forward from here is is just, there should be no overlap or problem switching. And it just, it just changes that mechanism and all the blocks should be con- consistent. Um, we've had... I believe four already test mergers. So this will be the final one to the main net. All of them have gone pr- successfully. We've had no issues. So I am looking forward to the, the fireworks on, on this one. Well, very good. Let me ask you this, Austin. So sure. with the merger converting from proof of work to proof of stake, the question in my mind or the one thought turns to the question of an efficiency gain. Or an sure. effectiveness gain. When I, again, mm-hmm. I have a, I think securities. And so I see when there's a motivation to change a, a structural dynamic, an organizational structure, as the, you've yeah. described here, between proof of work and proof of stake, the motivation for doing it has to be well, after this, we'll be doing something better, faster, quicker. It was worth it. And in the securities world, that usually means it was worth it financially somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on that end, 
again, the the kind of consensus mechanism that was first started with Bitcoin was the proof of work. We've seen proof of work. We've seen most layer ones that are trying to be in the uh, realm of what Ethereum does, which is provide smart contracts. If you don't know what smart contracts at, you can check out the previous episode uh, that was on episode four. It goes into the smart contracts. But layer ones that have smart contracts, most of them are already proof of stake because it is faster, cheaper, more energy efficient. And the reason Ethereum hasn't done this yet is just because we the the technology wasn't there yet. So this is just the next evolution in a consensus mechanism. It's a little bit more, like I said, it's a little bit faster, a little bit more secure on, to some degree. And it also provides a little bit easier entry point to, to people to participate in consensus um, instead of actually having the computer and running all these these equipments. So there is the, the 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 overall picture here is yes, right now the the financial side of it is I would not say priced in per se. I think we're gonna go a little bit downwards here just because it's always a sell a news event. Anytime people, you know, we we experience that in pretty much every category of finances, there, there's a news event that happens, people get excited beforehand and it kind of dumps off. Right. But for in terms of like technological advancements and how the, the picture of Ethereum looks for the future, this is a massive upgrade. The current throughput for Ethereum roughly is around 14 transactions per second, which is very slow. The Bitcoin is around, I believe, eight. So it's a little bit even slower. But some of the layer one competitors that already have all the scaling and everything uh, up to snuff are, you know, upwards of 5,000 to some of some of them are as high as 100,000 transactions per second. So the next step here is allowing the chain to kind of get rid of those growing pains. You know, one of the biggest problems with Ethereum is it costs so much to use as an everyday user, and it kind of deters users from that because when you have the system actually stressed, like we saw in November and uh, September of last year, prices could have been you know $100 to $200 to actually just get any block space just because that's what the value of, of it was. Now it's down into maybe like the 5 to $10 range. So the demand for block space has gone just down tremendously with the amount of, you know, say kind of like FOMO has kind of gone away from, from markets just with the cooling off of the entire macro over financial system. But this will entail the, the throughput of the chain just to be much, much greater so that people can get their space that they need at a, a cheaper price um, and, and then also have just more space available for, for future participants as well. Wow. You know, Austin, you said that the present um, rate of processing on yes. Ethereum is around 14 transactions a second and sure, that there are other lesser known quotes competitors that have a throughput time of anywhere from 5,000 to 100,000 per second yeah. or 5,000 to 100,000 um, events, transactions, per second. transactions yeah. that's what I was looking for, per second. That's a crazy difference. A huge, huge difference. That's crazy and, difference. Mm -hmm. And that's so kind of one of the, the reason here that we've seen it with Bitcoin. You know, a long time Ethereum holders have always said like, well, why does Bitcoin still hold the majority of, of you know, we have, we have a better system. We have smart contracts. Same thing. We have that first mover advantage we've seen with Ethereum, 
we've been able to stave off any of the competitors at eating into the overall larger market share because we have that first mover advantage in the smart contract platform. So even though our transactions have been, you know, very expensive, super slow system, we are now, you know, this this whole kind of last bull market run was pretty much solidifying Ethereum as the kind of the main mover here because no one's going to really overtake Ethereum before the, the merge. Now we've seen some of the kind of the smaller competitor chains have, have fallen a lot worse and haven't, haven't gained a huge amount of market share against Ethereum. So with this update coming, there will be no direct like instantaneous throughput increase. We still have to kind of scale, which is going to take around six to nine months to get in some of the some of the what they call scaling through sharding. We haven't really talked about that, but it's just running concurrent chains so that we can get more throughput. Again, that's one of the, the ways that we increase the amount of blocks that can be done per second. And then as well, just the, the mechanism by itself is a little bit just a little bit faster than the current system. So massive technology upgrade. We've we've been competing with layer ones that are have already had this kind of upgrade for they just started with it so that the the sent the consensus mechanism kind of started about the, the end of 2018 so you know four years before ethereum was even created so i think that now that we're actually getting the upgrade i think we'll start seeing a lot more a lot more companies coming in we've already kind of seen companies making that kind of move but now i think it'll be accelerated with the ease of use of all they have to do is buy ethereum to stake and you can participate in the consensus mechanism. It's more like a bond from your world, right? You, you're, you're, you're solidifying the success of, of America by contributing your money, get, and you get a bond that gives you how much yield over a certain amount of time. Same, same kind of concept here is you, you pledge your 32 ETH to receive just a, a solid return based on the success of Ethereum. Right. So these are our similar approaches for the, the OWGs or the, 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 the classic investors what might look at this more as, as a bond, something like that. Right. So, so to pick um, up on, on that and a couple of terms you've used just for clarification, Austin. So the, the 32 ETH is the minimum number of ETH required to be a validation yes. site? To be a, a sole node to validate your own transactions you need a minimum of 32 but there is pooling systems just how there is pooling with mining where you can contribute your computing power on a, on a pooled scale which we use i personally use rocket pool that one you can use any number of ETH. you can put you know if you have 0.5 eth you could toss it in there to get staking rewards i will say just the smaller amount you have you know obviously the less generation it will have you might be able to utilize it a little bit better but you know, 32 is the minimum requirement to running your own node and being your own validator. So a validator is someone who is just confirming the transactions. Yes. And would an investor do that? An investor who's who's lazy and doesn't want to do anything, but here's the here's my investment. Have at it. Yeah. Or yeah, does so an investor I, have I, to do Me things? personally, I I still I think this is something that is much in the direction of, you know, it's it's less it's less upfront costs realistically like if you want to have a a large-scale production of, of a bitcoin miner or something like that you're going to be spending upwards of probably close to a hundred thousand dollars to be like a good miner getting getting profits and not in a pooled situation minimum right so you have to have 
and to even make it with prices of, of electricity going up so much as well, I, th I would say it's probably not even profitable at these current prices at all. So you're not even going to have break even. Whereas now you can just be getting, you know, you're, you know, right now 32 ETH is roughly like 50 to 55,000, depending on the current price of ETH. But, you know, just to fire up a, a single node, getting a guaranteed, you know, roughly 4.3% at current at current staking numbers, I think it is something that would be much easier for the, like, more on the corporate level or something like that, where they don't have to, it's way more, way less of an investment to say, yeah, we'll put like $50,000, see how it works versus, yeah, I'm going to buy mining equipment. I'm going to buy computers that run this. Right. I got to buy cooling systems. I got to buy you know, solar panels to actually be profitable here. And I think that is much more likely to succeed as a consensus mechanism for onboarding, you know, like corporations and people into the, the space that want to actually use Ethereum, right? We've seen a lot of products and companies coming into the space, you know, Starbucks just announced that they're kind of going into the blockchain realm with their, their loyalty reward system going forward from now. So, yes. you know, we're seeing a lot of companies choosing that open system versus their closed systems. And even though it costs more for them to produce more time and energy to produce, they see the value of being an open system for the future where you can now kind of integrate um, other, other products uh, into your like possibly their, their systems through that. So I do think that it would be and over a couple year period, I think this will be the time where companies actually start participating in the consensus mechanism of uh, one of these blockchains. Okay. And you used the term earlier, sharding. And my yes. understanding from what you said is that one could use the conventional definition of, of, of shards and apply it to blockchain technology. So you have like little blockchains, shards yeah, exactly. off of the main mm -hmm. chain that might yep. allow you to be a source of scale, scalability. scalability. Maybe it's the blockchain exactly. version of bandwidth. Exactly. Um, it's exactly what it is. You just increase the bandwidth through running multiple chains that right. allow you to can, to converge into one, right? So, you know, if, if it's under high stress, you can, they'll, they'll be start consensus this way, consensus this way. And then eventually all of those consensus or blocks that have been printed will then merge into the, the final under less stress. So it kind of opens up during high periods of time that need the, the extra bandwidth there, you know, the, there's different ways to fire them up. It's like more, yeah, just how exactly how you describe bandwidth where like, say a, a website gets a lot of viewers at one time, there is a variable kind of shift where they fire up new hard drives to kind of take the bandwidth over. And that's why you see like under high stress, you see websites go down. Similar approach where you're able to, to run more bandwidth through that chain because of the kind of the offshoot. Okay, so shards give us bandwidths, and I understanding that from moving from proof of work to proof of stake, that there's a, a, a potential significant reduction in the energy consumption or or yep. gas fees, if it's correct to say that. So what would go um, through my at, at, like? At, I would say the gas fees aren't going to be right away again until we actually see some of the scalability increases. Oh. But the gas fees is in term of like. Energy usage, yes, will go down roughly 99.7% less, more energy efficient than the current system. So, you know, at, at proof of work as a mechanism is one of the biggest, you know, I would say like ESG issues with blockchain technology is just that it does have a, quite a bit of, of wasted energy comparatively to 
Um, like, you know, you, we, the entirety of Bitcoin is practically like a country, you know, worth of, of electricity usage per, per year. Right. And that's one of the biggest, you know, everyone, every corporation, not to say like, it's, you know, greenwashing, but you know what I'm saying? Like they, they're, they're, the, the thought in the back of their heads is always going to be, you know, how do I improve my carbon emissions? You know, if me using, if I can do the same thing and have similar, uh, let's say like strength and decentralization and strength and just like open source and stuff like that. I'd rather use 99% less energy if I, cause it's something that's just a positive, right? Like we, yes. we you don't need anything else adding to the current state of, of, you know, emissions. Right. So that's kind of the thought process here. And it's something that corporations, I think, even though they, they say, you know, it's like top priority. I think it might be just something that I will give them a public eye view of this is better than it used to be, right? Like the the, yes. pu the general public, when you say blockchain technology, the first thing they always say is like, well, that's ter terrible for the environment or, you know, that's usually top three complaints by someone who doesn't actually know anything about blockchain. It's what they've been told on, you know, on the news and stuff like that. Yes. So I think this does step in the right direction of now you have a talking point of, Hey, we're now 99% better. It just shows improvement overall. And just the, the, the use case is, but like I said, the, the right off the bat uh, scaling won't be there. So we still have pretty high fees, but like, again, the energy uses will, will go down dramatically, dr dramatically. So, you know, we're looking for the correction of high fees for the user was, was come, will come with scalability. That makes sense to me. And mm -hmm. If we it's the first step in that right direction, right? So, in looking to the future, relatively near term, say in the next yeah. year, do you believe that the ETH merger will have uh, gotten to the point that it's achieved the desired scalability and gas fees have started to go? in the downward direction. What I'm looking for, for sure. is what we would call in the securities world, a sustainable competitive advantage. And to continue Absolutely. to focus on that, growing that advantage. That That's, My, that's a great question. I definitely think that I, me personally, I am invested in multiple layer ones. I have AVAX, I, I, Avalanche, I'm a big fan of. I do like a lot of the layer two scalability ones like Polygon, which is, is a good one as well to look at if you don't really know about those. I would say like a Solana is also pretty interesting just because they have a lot of following. They're getting that, uh, they're getting some more traction in the down market than some of the other competitors out there. You know, we've seen some Solana and, and some stuff kind of kind of expand during the downtrend. So they those are the ones that I think are going to solidify really well. But yeah, this definitely secures, just how I was saying a little bit earlier, this was, this, this, cycle here and in the crypto sphere was a chance for an L1 to kind of take the spotlight because we just had such a discrepancy in technology at that point. And now that we're catching up as Ethereum users and upgrading these mechanisms, I, I definitely think that is a competitor advantage because we just have the developers and the, the, the community, you know, we kind of talked about how community was so important in the yes. aspect of crypto sphere and on the last step. And I think that solidifies it even more here as we go forward. We, we've seen kind of how the growth of Twitter happened and, and the growth of like Facebook, once they reaches those, those certain breakpoints and users and, 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 and people actually contributing to the space, you see a massive 
uh, increase pretty rapidly. So, you know, we still are maintaining the 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 users plus the developers uh, are the highest on Ethereum. And now with a technological upgrade, I think it's it is hard to kind of knock us out of the the seat there as the the, the lead smart uh, smart contract platform. Well, great. You might recall that once I've referred to it's not my term. I think it's Warren Buffett's term. Moat companies. Yeah, there are certain exactly. companies that are able to build a moat around themselves for protection by meeting needs out in the marketplace, out of the marketplace better than other companies, more economically than other companies, and continuing yeah. to do that. And I, I think I, our I, moat was very, very, very shallow for the last couple of years when we had people able to use these proof of stake consensus models already. And now that we are solidifying it, I think the, the moat gets much deeper here. Okay, well, that's good news for, uh, for Ethereum then. It makes it more difficult yeah. for competitors to replace Ethereum. It makes it more difficult for competitors to erode the, the foundation of, of exactly Ethereum, of Ethereum. Like developer usage and, and, and actual product usage. One really cool stat that I, I, I recently wrote an article, if you don't like in the podcast form, I'll also put in the link here just about what to expect from the Ethereum merger. Um, and over for, for a long time now, we've, we've seen Ethereum is the uh, pretty much the, the go-to value settlement blockchain. You know, So ever since May, let's see, when was it? I think it was January of this year, um, Ethereum has been substantially over uh, Bitcoin settlements. So you know, we're roughly doing $28.26 billion per day in, in settlements. Whereas Bitcoin is now at 8.4. So again, we've not only seen it trending that way for competitive layer ones, but we're actually seeing it settlement value is actually is higher than Bitcoin as well. So this is kind of the cycle where Ethereum might gain some traction. We Generally speaking and cycle wise, Bitcoin always outperforms in the bear market during the downtrends. You know, we've usually seen... Yes. Ethereum gone down like 90% previously, 87%. Bitcoin's hitting like 60s, you know, around there. Yeah. And actually this cycle is one of the first cycles where we're actually seeing a really strong hold um, where uh, Ethereum has gone down uh, a little bit less than Bitcoin too. So it's actually be performing as that, you know, I don't want to say reserve currency, but it is performing its job better than Bitcoin is at this moment. There's more uh, resistance time, for so. sure. It's yeah. more exactly. So, you know, we are in that hole, you know, we've talked about it multiple times. We're in that tech, you know, we're still that tech stock, you know, compared to yes. the actual real world investor. And this just also, again, gives us as Ethereum users a little bit of a leg up again. And just overall, we're, we're more resilient than even Bitcoin in a downtrend market of, as of this cycle. We've solidified that moat as a a layer one smart contract in terms of upgrading the, well, we already have the developers, but now we're at equal footing on the uh, the technology side. So I, I think this is definitely a, the directions we want to see Ethereum moving as we go forward from here. Well, great. I know we're getting short on time, but I wanted to ask you one more question, Austin. And that is, I, it, I read something about Ethereum that I do not understand. And I'm just going to, okay. I wrote it down. I've read it three yeah. times. I still don't understand it. <laughs> okay. So the, the comment was with this completion of the merger of Ethereum, the token supply 
will reduce, be reduced by 90% from 4.3% from to 0.43%. And yes. I don't know what it means to reduce the token. I don't know what that sentence means. Yeah, I got you. So currently – to confirm the blockchain of Ethereum and pay out miners to to you know want to produce those blocks for us, we pay out roughly 15 million ETH tokens a day to kind of to solidify the the the, the security of the the network, and that's how it functions. We we are constantly paying somebody to do our work for us. That's how proof of work works. With the staking switch. The daily supply that gets emitted was 4.3%, and now it will be 0.43%. So every day, only the the total amount of over the entirety of our existence of Ethereum inflates in a year, roughly 4.3%. Now, it will now only be 0.43% annually. So the this means a large supply reduction coming to the market daily. The roughly only 1 million tokens will be emitted per year to con confirm the network instead of that, that larger amount. So, so is this, an, uh, an, is this a, a something that is anti-inflationary with regard to at the, tokens? Or? Yeah, so there's, it's actually a little bit of, of a, a mechanism here. So there's kind of both sides here. At a, at a time, it is it, – it is at, it was per permanently just in a inflationary period with proof of work. It was more of like a constant rate of inflation. Yes. So that was the constant instead of being def like a set amount. Yes. That's how was how Bitcoin functions. So this one is going to be still the same constant emission rate, but we have certain proposals that have been passed in the in the past that when we are over a certain amount of high gas fees. That extra Ethereum doesn't go to the actual confirmers, like either the miners or the validators. It actually gets burned. So if it if under high periods of stress, Ethereum is deflationary. It just depends on the day. So, but it does either way. It puts a massive strain on the amount of free Ethereum entering the the chain. If that makes sense, it does. So instead of being it being fifteen million, it's only going to be roughly like one million. And yep. so it's a it's a massive reduction. Um, and the, again, this, this is my thought process here. We had all these free tokens coming into the, the supply, the beacon chain, which is how the, the original stakers and how we are getting, if you're staking right now, you've been locked into the beacon chain for over two years. Yes. So the actual beacon chain, I believe started around like October of 2020. So validators that have been confirming that network for this entire time haven't been able to touch any of the money. So short term, I think high volatility price wise is is very likely. We have people yes. with within the next couple of months able to kind of not Take all at once kind of. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. They've been it's two years is a long time to not be able to even touch your investment. Right. So there's way different market conditions. The average price of entry for a validator is mo pretty much 80% of validators are in the red at this current price. Yes. So it's definitely something that we're going to see is a possibility that we we have a high increase one time where these the validators get a kind of a, a kind of a, a cushion to kind of make moves and sell off some of their Ethereum if it's higher than they started. Or is it something that we don't really, we don't really feel that supply increase from the validators getting their money released because 
we are operating 90% less into the market every day. So I do think that catches up with us fairly quickly. Generally, if you look at Bitcoin, we've talked about this before on one of the first or second episodes, how the halvenings of each coin cycle. So every four years, the the reduction of amount coming into the space is cut in half. This is essentially two and a half times greater than one Bitcoin halvening happening right now. So this is the first time it's ever happened for Ethereum. When we've seen that previous, just like historically, every time that Bitcoin does this, we see a massive price increase just because the people willing to sell their Bitcoin for that price goes down tremendously because the supply is less and less. So we're seeing a, a my thought process here is over a year, we'll see a a good amount of price increase regardless of the market conditions, I think, because this is kind of the showcasing period of what price do people actually value this at? And I think it goes up quite a bit from here. Well, that suggests that the the ride over the next year will be an interesting one. It is. <laughs> I definitely think so. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I, like I get the, the beginning right out of the gate, I do see it being a sell the news event, like I said, but I think the, the year of this is the next, the next two years are, are Ethereum's for sure. And, and price and price gapping from Bitcoin. Be patient. I, I'm excited. Be patient. I'm always, be, I always be patient. In these, that's right. In these markets that tolerate volatility. Well, this, <laughs> right. this is an easy, this the is the what you, what you just described though, really what you just described, and maybe it's a great segue into kind of the, you know, the next time we talk, we're going to talk about risk assessment yeah. and wealth management kind of things with regard to crypto that what you okay. just described with regard to people who have large numbers of individuals who've been holding Ethereum, it's been a forced choice to hold it for yeah, the last exactly. two years. Well, yeah, if you participate in a sticker, that is the cauldron of volatility just waiting for the, right you know, the, yeah. <laughs> boom, right? <laughs> Dump so it out, right? Dump it, fill the cauldron here. Right. But that's a lot, that's an easier volatility to deal with because you, you know, it's coming. It has a logic You're expecting to it. it. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's pr- different. Than- that, that movement is priced in, I think a little bit coming here. I think people are expecting a bunch of people to like dump it. And I think that's why I think the price will kind of go down a little bit. But over the next year, I think there will be a, it's a great opportunity to kind of like dollar cost average, you know, into some of these things when, the, as the surprise kind of goes. Right. Supply Absolutely. goes lower. Sorry. Therein is a potential opportunity. Hey, well, you know what? I know a lot more than I did a half hour ago. There we go. (laughs) I appreciate it a lot. (laughs) As always. Well, it's always what I get. Well, the thing is, is as always, when I I leave these podcasts with you, I have had a number of my questions answered, but you plant you. 28 questions extra. (laughs) Extra. Right. That's right. But I answered six. Now I got 40. Precisely. But I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge. You have a detailed understanding of it. That's really helpful to us OWGs. Anytime. And we will catch you next week on another episode of Old Dog New Tricks. We're going to, like John said, we're going to go into a little bit more of like risk management, um, proper kind of holding that cash for the, the, the inevitable kind of downtrend. Instead of kind of using all your capital quickly and burning it all, you want to spread it out over a multiple time frames so that you can get that dollar cost average approach and get a little bit, I think, better entries um, and less less stress, right? Those, those well, are there, there's that things. sleep at night thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's always nice when you can actually sleep instead of wired at the uh, looking right. at the screens all day. So yeah, for sure. 
But uh, like I said, we'll catch you on another episode of Old Dog New Tricks. Everyone have a great day. Cool. Take care, Austin. <laughs>